Hi everyone, Raphael Harry here, and you're listening to White Label American, a podcast where we hear stories from an immigrant or two, sometimes more. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of White Label American. Thank you all for joining us today. Before we begin, I'd like to give a shout out to my Patreons. Thank you for your support. Thank you for helping us build community. And for everyone listening who hasn't joined us on Patreon, please do. You know, we could always use more support. You know, we're trying to get somewhere and we are not close to where we want to be. And for those who are not able to right now, we understand, you know, times are not easy. But you can also still support by subscribing, sharing, liking, and giving five stars, especially on iTunes and other podcast platforms where you listen at. So enough of that. Let's jump to today's guest. Oh, one more thing. We also have t-shirts available at vetclothing.com. It's also another way you can support the podcast and help us move forward. So I have to jump to today's guest. I have a very special brother in the studio. He is an IT professional, an entrepreneur. He has a business in, in which he's in partnership with his brothers. He's a father, just like me, but on another level of fatherhood because he has more experience than myself. And at the same time, he's working on his doctorate at Columbia University. So I, I need to know how he makes out time for everything because this guy's like a, uh, yeah, he's, he's a, he got some super juice in him that he's able to spread his time everywhere. But without much further ado, welcome to the podcast, Seku Cox. Yeah, thank you for having me. Welcome, brother. How are you doing today? <clears throat> I'm great, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Glad to have you. So let's begin. Um, can you introduce us to where you were born and you know um, what your childhood was like? I grew up in uh, Trinidad and Tobago, small island in the Caribbean. Uh, and I grew up in an area called Laventil. Laventil. Which, yeah, Laventil, which is a <clears throat> a pretty rough area in Trinidad. And we ended up in Laventil because my grandparents actually migrated from St. Vincent, which oh. is an even smaller country in the Caribbean. Yeah. So them migrating to Trinidad actually was a big economic step up for them. Mm. And, you know, I come from a family where my grandparents were all illiterate. So when they got to Trinidad, one of their big goals was for all their children to go to school which eventually happened for them. Yeah. So I uh, grew up with my dad and my grandmom, and I had six uncles and one aunt here. Yeah. So it was a very big family. And then I have uh, five brothers. So one big family. Uh, yeah. In Trinidad, yeah. Well, you, 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 you're able to have a number on, on the uncles and aunts. People like, you know, I mean, the Nigerian system, I don't have a number of uncles and aunts because they just keep increasing and decreasing and increasing and decreasing. So it's just like, that's your uncle, that's your aunt. Uncle, aunt, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that just got me curious because I've had um, I've had a, another guest from Trinidad and Tobago on podcast. Actually, I've had her and her sister also. Mm. And her family has, uh, one part of her family migrated from Venezuela. Mm. So it seems like Trinidad and Tobago attracts migrants from other nearby countries. Yeah, we are one of the biggest economies in the Caribbean. So oh. a lot of these smaller islands, yeah. they gravitate towards Trinidad for business purposes. Yeah, I think 
back in the day there was more tourism, but you know our economy is based a lot on natural gas. Yeah. So it is, yeah, very business minded compared to some of the other Caribbean countries that mainly sustain on tourism. Okay. So I say probably Trinidad and Jamaica as the two largest economies. So again, mm. yeah, we have a lot of migrants coming from Venezuela and the smaller islands around here. Wow. So that's something I never thought about because when my uh, previous guest mentioned Venezuela, I just assumed, you know, Venezuela is not far away. So, yeah, that, that made sense. But now that, you know, you've mentioned the, the economy and the fact of how big it is and, you know, being attractive to uh, the neighboring um, countries, it makes sense to me now yeah. why it attracts and how why it's a major pull yeah. to everyone there. So, in terms of diversity, it, it probably changes the the population and the area you grew up in. So you you had a different exposure to diversity. Well, yes, not like diversity in America. So yeah. the history of Trinidad was um, the triangular slave trade, where a lot of the uh, slaves came from West Africa, mm-hmm. and then when slavery was abolished in eighteen. 18- 38, I think it was in Shredder, 1834, they started the indentured labor ship with Indians. Mm. So, you know, the main part of that ploy was to ensure that uh, black people had no ownership of land, you know. So yes. after they abolished slavery, they just wanted to ensure that black people didn't have a chance to rebuild themselves, which is probably the same history throughout the Americas. So the indentured labor was, was when they brought in a lot of Indians. And because of that, Indian people have a lot of land ownership in Trinidad. And I think about 10 years ago, the Indian population officially crossed um, to be more than 50% of the Trinidad population. So interestingly, the majority of uh, people in Trinidad are, are Indian descent. And, you know, our population is only 1.2 million people, but it's now majority Indian as compared to African. So oh. diversity for me was uh, the race relations between black and Indian, similar yeah. to how it is between black and white in America because yeah. the Indians do still control a lot of land and a lot of economic resources in Trinidad. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a small population of like Lebanese and uh, like Chinese and people who do control a lot of large businesses. But it's the two main ethnic groups are Africans and Indians. And even the political scene yes. are similar to America, Democratic and Republican. is based on uh, the black and Indian parties even up to this day. Wow. Well, that's something I've never looked into. Yeah. But yeah, that, thanks for um, bringing, um, exposing that to me. This is um, something that I should most definitely look into and expose myself on because it's, uh, I just, I think I only focus on the tourism when right. it comes to Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, well, the thing, and you know, the racial groups in Trinidad, they always look back towards the ancestry. So, yeah. Um, yeah, like in Trinidad, there's a strong, uh, among the black people, like a strong looking towards West Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, that's even how I first got my interest in traveling to Africa, which I finally first had a chance to do when I was in college. But, you know, we grew up in a culture where we talk about uh, repatriation, going home. You know, there's the Rastafarian community where yeah. that's one of the big tenets. Mm-hmm. And it's it's always there, you know, like strong Orisha culture, Yoruba culture. Yeah. Yes, a lot of African garment. And it's the same thing with the Indian people. They like are very strong about like Indian culture and they go back to India. They keep a lot of the customs alive. So, you know, even though Trinidad is is his own place, a lot of people they really look back towards their ancestry. I would say 
even to a stronger level than um, you, you would see amongst black Americans and not stereotyping because I think it had different phases yes. in history where, I, I, you know, I, I, like I you. black mm-hmm. Americans, like, you know, raising fists and they talk about going back to Africa. But really in the Caribbean, it's like a very um, major part of our culture, like that Pan-Africanism, you know? Even just yesterday, I was looking at um, a, a short documentary about uh, Stokely Carmichael, you know, he's Trinidadian. And actually, apparently he is the one who's credited with coining the term Black Power, which I, I didn't know. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, he named himself uh, Kwame Ture after Kwame Nkrumah and Sekou yeah. Ture. Like, he merged their names. Oh. And that's how he renamed himself from Stokely Carmichael to Kwame Ture. So, you know, he's one of our brightest citizens. Yeah. You know? yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, thanks for that beautiful history lesson. And... Yeah, you've given me something that I I'll, I'll use to... Yeah, I'm definitely deep... Uh, I'll dig deeper into um, the TNT culture. And yeah, there's a lot for me to explore there, which goes beyond tourism and Sebastian. In, uh, <laughs> little, the Little Mermaid. Yeah, so I found out not long ago that uh, Sebastian was from Trinidad and Tobago. In the, when we first watched Little Mermaid in Nigeria back uh, in the, the late... Early... Uh, early Early nineties, I think that was the first time I watched it. I like ninety one, nineteen ninety one. Um, we just had that was you know all, yes, that yeah. accent was Jamaican. To right, us. that's it. We just said Jamaican, and that's what I went with until um, I oh, think it was twenty nineteen yeah. or twenty eighteen. <laughs> Somebody said, "Yeah, that, that, nah, that guy is from Trinidad." I was like, "What? <laughs> you mean my child was alive?" <laughs> that's how I found out. <laughs> Yeah, so sticking with your childhood, what do you consider your favorite childhood memory? Uh, let me see. Interestingly, my favorite childhood memory, I would say, would be um, going to school and playing with friends because, you know, I said it kind of fleetingly, but the area that I grew up in, it was, you know, a very rough area. Like, a lot of, I grew up seeing a lot of crime, hearing about a lot of crime, mm-hmm. like seeing a lot of violence, um, even in my own household. I had like three uncles who were like uh like drug addicts, you know? Mm. So I kinda grew up in like surrounding right and Trinidad, the education system we have over there, there's these national exams that everybody takes and then you get placed in a school based on your score. Oh, so it's so a it's yeah, it's something a, similar. I think it's a British It is based on the British system, yeah, because we are, we were a colony of yeah. So it was yeah. the O level. So the thing with that is that myself and my elder brother we scored really high on those exams and we're able to go to one of the best schools in Trinidad. Mm. So just having a chance to um, mix with kind of different people and start having like these different experiences, you know, that kind of, that stuck out with me to see some different parts, parts of my country and just, you know, have different things. I say like playing sports, having a chance to like travel around, yeah, being in like the scouts, uh, just learning new things. Because even the school I went to when I was younger was also like a, you know, like this crime-ridden area, you know. Mm. So when I finally got to high school, which was around like age 11 or 12, you know, it was a, <clears throat> yeah, really big shift with like life experiences. So yeah. I would say that's one thing that stuck up with me a lot growing up here. So uh, when you were playing in school, you mentioned sports. And I know one of the biggest sports in Trinidad and Tobago Unlike Nigeria, it's, it's in parts of Nigeria it used to be big, but not really. We used to consider it too bougie. 
for, 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 for most of us, my generation, I still think people consider it bougie to this day, is cricket for you guys. So do you play cricket? I, I did play cricket, yeah. When, especially when I was growing up. And in the West Indies, we play as one team. Yeah. So the West Indies team was very dominant at that time when I was a, a young man. So it was like, well, for, the game has changed a lot now and the West Indies team isn't as good anymore. But, you know, it was a, it was like, just imagine like growing up in Brazil when Brazil was on top of mm -hmm. soccer, right? Yes. So that's what it was yeah, good, the time when I was growing up. Like the West Indies was on top of world cricket. We had a player called Brian Lara who yeah, like broke everybody. a lot of world records, you know, and I was like fully aware to like know what was happening. You know? mm -hmm. So yeah, cricket was big. I think it's fizzled a little bit because the rules of the game also, it doesn't fit like modern sports because, you know, there's one form of cricket where one match could take five days, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah that's called like test cricket. So you that, can imagine. That's probably why you guys lost me there. Yeah, you like... can imagine that that's not going <laughs> to really fly with this generation, you know? They're even talking about shortening sports where it takes two hours, you know? Uh -huh. And you have some, a form of the sport that it takes five hours. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I could see why, yes, some people say it's bougie because it is based on English culture. Instead of having like a halftime break, they, they have tea breaks, you know, things like this. <laughs> there's a break for afternoon tea, yeah. there's lunch, you know? So. Yeah, you no. dress in all white. Yes, you know oh. it had like all the stuff that was like super bougie. So I could see you know where that whole come from. Yeah, um, by the time I made it to secondary school, it was I, they couldn't even afford to the equipments for cricket. Yeah, yeah. So all we we got was oh Nigeria used to have a good cricket team in the seventies or whatever, and Blah blah blah. We're gonna test you on that, but we're gonna play it. No, but we're gonna. I was like, man, I ain't interested. I in think Kenya is like sport. the one African country yeah. that has like an active cricket team. So yeah, like, huh? Kenya and South Africa. Oh yeah, South Africa and, is dominant. Zimbabwe yeah. Zimbabwe might have something. Yeah, but uh, but South Africa is South they, they heavyweights yeah, in the game. Heavyweight. But Kenya is uh, sometimes like you know three. that country is so dominated by white people. Sometimes I mm -hmm. forget about them when I'm talking about Africa because <laughs> their whole cricket team is white. Yeah, that's, that's they, they the just got suspended thing. by their sports minister because yeah. of that because they refused to. So you know it. that's why I even thought of Kenya. I didn't even think of them, and they're like a really good. The same team. with Zimbabwe too. Zimbabwe yeah, like all white team players, is yeah? like an all white. Team. Yeah. they've been trying, they've been, they've been <laughs> waiting for them to force. They've been forcing them to like integrate the black <laughs> players into their team. And it's like uh, slow dragging, slow dragging. Mm. Like, come on, your rugby did it, your right? Sports yeah. did it. It's just you guys were like, ah, we going we can't find black players. Keep this like, for ourselves. Yeah, that's a lie. So yeah, Nigeria. I mean, but when I was sixteen, seventeen, I met uh, two Sri Lankan brothers whose parents were working in Nigeria, and uh, we were at some evening school program, and they were like. Well, we wanted to play we like, oh, they were, they were very rich kids at that program. And I was lucky that they put me in that program. And I was, I was like, man, we're going to play some sports. You guys don't play sports. And they're like, oh, okay, what shall we play? I said, I, I got a football, man. I'll bring my football. Let's play. And those Sri Lankans are like, man, we don't play that. We play cricket. Like, mm. you know what? We equip everybody. We'll bring the equipment. We'll get mm. everybody fitted to play. And they brought it. And everybody tried one day. We're like, what is this? Right. <laughs> <laughs> we like, we nah, man, we're not doing this. We can't. We can't. <laughs> we couldn't. <laughs> that was the first and last time I played <laughs> cricket. And 
Yep, you can you can drag me. I mean, you have to like bribe me, like right. give me good money, and I, yeah, I'll be there. But when I was in Bahrain, every field, every vacant field that I saw was cricket. Was cricket. There were guys from India, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, Nepal. Um, a few Arabs also played, but they were just they occupied all the fields, any vacant field that you just saw. Those guys were there. I was like, man. And then uh, the cricket World Cup happened when I was yeah. there. Mm. And it was India Pakistan in the final? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness, that is one of the craziest yeah. experience. I, I thought soccer fans were wild, but when those two countries met in the final, you couldn't find any pub right. open. Yeah, India versus Pakistan. There was, they were just crazy. showing that it was cricket. They were showing every, and I was so pissed. I was like, I want to watch soccer, man. <laughs> but those guys were buying me drinks. So I was like, okay, I, don't, I'm like, I can't, I can't complain anymore. <laughs> but yeah, so so I gotta know when, when uh, West Indies is playing. Does it have this same effect like uh, when Nigeria is playing soccer where like almost the whole country shuts down? During yeah, the there, there definitely was a, a time, as I said in my childhood, mm-hmm. where when West Indies was playing, it was just the main event, you know, because yeah. that was the most dominant sport, more than soccer, more than track, where the whole Caribbean mm-hmm. was just like glued to their TV, you know? Wow. Especially in the times of like Brandar, as I said, mm-hmm. when he was breaking yeah. world records, it was just, yeah, everything on TV had to do with cricket there. Yeah. Stadiums were packed for all five days, you know, every time there's a game. <laughs> ah, man, that, that's it. It's, I mean, I, I would have loved to experience that right. in the stadium. Maybe, maybe my attitude would have changed if I had gone to the stadium to see that, but whew, I can't imagine that. Even, um, you know, one small last story about cricket before they had these digital scoreboards, it was yeah. like manual scoring, and they used to use school kids to do it. And I remember when I was in high school, I had a chance to do the scoreboard for one of the test matches, you know? Yeah. They, like, sent us behind there, and then they would make the runs, and we had to, like, manually move the numbers, you know? That was, like, a whole big thing, and they probably could end up on, like, TV, wow. do, like, an intermission <laughs> where they, like, show the waving. Ah, that's beautiful. <laughs> so, um, when you got into the school with your um, elder brother, you said, right? Yeah. You um, left your part of town... Was it a different city you moved to? It was, a, it was um, in the capital, Port of Spain, yeah. Okay, Port of Spain. But where I lived was on the outskirts of Port of Spain, yeah. Okay, so it wasn't a boarding school? You, you, you It wasn't a boarding school, no. We would travel back and forth every day, yeah. Okay. Were, were boarding schools popular in your country? Uh, let me see. I think um, maybe only the university had boarding, but oh, okay. all the schools were day schools in Trinidad, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they, we didn't have the boarding school system. And even growing up, we only had one university at that time. I think now there's a few, but when I was growing up, we had a university at West Indies, which was the only oh. tertiary education yeah, institution. Wow. Yeah. wow, I'm surprised. Wow, I wasn't expecting that. I, I know, I was because ex- um, I know most of the former British colonies tend to have boarding schools, and that used to be another like highbrow type of schooling yeah but it was also a place where you know the discipline and all that right but sure like if catholics anglicans all that that's another way of indoctrinating kids we had that we had but, those schools in China, yeah. but they all still day schools they were day schools but okay. there are a lot so of catholic schools anglican schools yeah um you guys and us because i know nigeria ghana kenya a whole lot of them had boarding schools so somehow we take the kids put them Teach there them all christianity so yeah. yeah but it was one way that kids from one part of the country, if you got you pass that test and you could get into a school in a different the part of the state, country, yeah. 
and then you you could just so the all you had to, your parents had to worry about in some places if you got a scholarship then all they had to worry about is paying for the transportation mm. for you to get there. But it would feed you, give you books. Yeah, and at the yeah. boarding school they they fed you, got you books, but uh, you still needed provisions like uh, snacks and all yeah. that. Yeah, otherwise you're gonna come back still looking skinny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, um, what other stuff did you do for fun uh, as a kid? I'm just curious to know, other than cricket. Well, I didn't actually play much cricket. My sports were football, as we call it over there, and track. And track. I was a big, I was a big runner, yeah. So, and were you I, were you a sprinter or the? I was a middle distance guy, yeah, distance. fifteen, eight hundred. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was actually better in track than soccer, but I like soccer more. Ah, but okay. I actually had more potential to like run, probably for like Trinidad's maybe national team, you know? But because I was um, getting very serious in both sports, I had to make a decision. Mm -hmm. I just went with soccer because I liked the sport more. But I think athletically, I had more potential as a track athlete. Because you know? mm. the school I went to actually was one of the biggest athletic schools in the country. Too. Yeah. Like we, we put a lot of athletes on the national team. And even for soccer, we, uh, football, you know, we had a lot of guys play national. So the sport program at our school was pretty strong. Any popular name? From the soccer side? Uh, let's see. From soccer. I mean, a lot of these are like historical names, but like Lincoln Phillips, who's considered like one of our greatest goalkeepers, went to like my school and we had a couple others here. And as far as track, at least two, we had um, guys who won at least Olympic bronze, maybe Mark Burns. He was actually at the school when I was there. He was a 100-meter oh. sprinter, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, throughout the years, we consistently have... Guys, and you know, Trinidad, our football team is not like a blazing a big trail on the world stage, so a lot of these names are known more locally. Yeah, what's uh, I mean, yeah, Dwight York is still Dwight the, York. The, so, the, the, the interesting thing with Dwight York is that, um, even though I grew up in Trinidad, my mom is from Tobago, yeah, so I'm like half Tobagoan, it's to say, you know, so like Dwight York, let's say, he represents that side of my family, yeah, all right, all right, yeah, so, um. Because the Trinidad and Tobago, just to clarify, is mm -hmm. like it's two islands that make up one nation. One nation, yeah. yeah so Tobago is like very tiny compared to the mainland Trinidad. Trinidad, okay. Yeah. So, because when, when you say you run uh, middle distance, and I was ex I was expecting sprint because you know most Caribbeans is sprint. Yeah, sprint and all things. It's yeah. like West Africa is sprint that yeah. is our strength. Then East Africans are the long, yeah. middle, well, I was middle. long distance. I, I can't run like far, yeah. but I have good stamina. Okay. So I can. I think that's why I got like kind of in between. Mm. You know, I could do like four laps like quickly, you know? All right. Yeah, because we, the moment I found athletics, I had no interest in, uh, for one, for a, a period in time, yeah, I still played soccer, but it was, I, the dream was like, oh, if I could, if there was a genie that, Showed up and said, "Grant, let me grant you three wishes." I'd have been like, "Put me one hundred meters." Yes, yeah, <laughs> because that was it. We all wanted to watch that one hundred meters, be the fastest person in the world, or two hundred meters. You yeah. know, that was it. And four hundred meters, we didn't care about eight hundred. Right. We didn't care. Like, and the funniest thing was that I think uh, Nigeria's first um, individual sprint, um, individual medal, will come from eight hundred. Mm. <laughs> nobody was watching that race <laughs> and that's where they finally won the Olympic <laughs> the medal yeah. the person who got the medal I've got her name and when she got the medal it was like everybody was waiting for the one because we were all living in 100 because one time we were very good in 100 
But we'll get to the final and finish fourth, right. fifth. I'm like, ah, next one, next one. And then it's like, oh, Nigeria got a medal. When? Nobody the saw. race hasn't yeah. happened. The race, with the race we expect, it hasn't happened. Yeah. Like, oh, no, no, it was 800, 800. What? Who? Who that? Like, yeah, one yeah girl nobody got, watched. Said, yeah. Ah, yeah, and man, it was it was terrible. I would to that woman. It wasn't like it wasn't like everybody cared. It was like, well, what about four hundred? What about two hundred? What about one hundred? You you couldn't win there. You went and won eight hundred. Like man, you go around, you go around there and see if you can win. Nobody could get medals in those races. Right. But uh, Atlanta '96, uh, someone finally got a medal in uh, two hundred meters. Miriam Yali, who's uh, like our, uh, she was the uh, equivalent of our Carl Lewis because she had been around for a long time. Uh, I've forgotten the Jamaican woman who had been around for a long time too and then switched to Slovenia. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was, right, equality bronze queen. Yeah, she yeah. won bronze so many times. Yeah, yeah, she won bronze a lot of times. I forgot her name. Then she yeah, won. no, she, she ran for a European country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yeah, yeah, she had her last legs, she ran for a European country, uh, Slovenia. Yeah. Yeah, and... Yeah, well, Yale was literally her. Yale was a classmate of my um, older cousin. And it was her last Olympics. And she last sprint, she got a bronze. Like, ah, oh, finally, we got a medal, individual yeah, medal. Sprints, and, yeah. Yeah. Well, but that was, we were so obsessed with 100, 200. 400. And uh, relays. Relays, we got, we also got medal at Atlanta 96, which was like our best Olympics. And after that, it just went downhill. That was it. It was. So like now, nah, South Africans can beat us in sprints. Yeah. Ghanaians, we don't even talk to Ghanaians anymore. Like they, they beat us there. We'll, we'll go fight about your love rights instead. <laughs> 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 we don't mention 100 meter sprinting anymore. <laughs> like yeah, the the guy from Namibia, Frankie Fredrick. Yeah, Frankie Fredrick. That's good. He, yeah. I think he's still no. I think Nigerian broke his record, but um, fastest in Africa. Okay. Yeah, but he he wasn't also treated right like Nigerians. When we just became soccer crazy, we just said we're not treating any other person good. Right, we don't, just focus on football just, alone, football, right? And we don't even spend the right money there. So the guy set the record for 100-meter sprint. We thought we were like, okay, we got somebody who's going to challenge Bolt. Yeah, the guy quit. He quit and oh, he joined the British Navy. Okay. <laughs> that was how frustrated he was. It was like, I'm out. I'm going to take care of my family. And move to, <laughs> to UK. <laughs> oh, man. So um, you finished secondary school in uh, TNT, and while you were in secondary school, who were your inspirations? Because um, I, I have a feeling like, did you start to envision, even if you hadn't like seen where you were going in in the future, like to be where you are today, but did were there seeds that looking back were sown? when you were in secondary school that you began to, you know, see the path that you would end up in where you were today and where you are today. Yeah, definitely. So I grew up, as I said earlier, with my dad and my grandmother. And mm -hmm. I've never seen my dad have a job for anybody my whole life. My dad has always been self-employed. Mm. So growing up, uh, he had a business where he used to make incense and he also used to make tonics and medicines for people. And he would walk around and sell Oh, so okay. since we were little, we used to go around and sell with him. So he would sell the incense wholesale to stores, individuals. <clears throat> and like, especially on Saturdays, that was like his main business day. He would travel around the country to where he had customers and sell them this incense, which they would resell in their stores, then sell cases of the tonic, which people would sell. So, you know, I just grew up knowing entrepreneur, like um, seeing 
entrepreneurship, um, seeing that my dad earned all his money just off of all his strength. Like, yeah. he would take me to the suppliers when he would buy stuff. Like, I learned the whole process of how to make incense, how to mix fragrances, how to make tonics and wines. And there was wow. actually a time uh, when the family started to uh, split up because when we migrated to America, we had to come in uh, waves. So we all weren't mm -hmm. able to come at the same time. And there was a time where my dad had to leave, which was in 99. And it was left with myself and my big brother, my younger brothers came, where... Um, you know, we actually had to like earn income just to live in Trinidad. Yeah. So my dad wasn't wrong anymore and I had to carry on the business. So I used to, while still going to school, of course, um, you know, go to the suppliers, prepare all the stuff and Saturdays go around and sell, you know. Wow. And I was actually representing my uh, team in football at that time. And there were times where like after a football game, I'd have to go home and get all the stuff and then go around and do all the business, you know, that money I would use, I would give my grandmother some. We'd, um, you know, just be able to eat, buy our stuff. So it's like I was thrust into the entrepreneurship, you know, it's, it's, it's a small family business, but mm -hmm. this is what, this was how we sustained ourselves, you know? So I came to America in 2001, so there was, there was like a two, a whole two year period where I was doing this um, for myself, you know? Yeah, my, my older brother wasn't as businessman as myself, so most of it was my doing, but as I said, it was just um, kind of our family business that yeah. I had to, I was just trust right into it. So, you know, growing up, all I knew was hustling, doing business, you know? Wow. So that's fascinating. You were hardcore multitasking. And how old were you then? Uh, when my dad left in 99, I was, uh, let me see, 16 years old when he left here. Yeah. Because when I came here, I was 18. Okay. So yeah, I was a, I was a teenager going yeah. around, and you know the interesting thing is that the the communities we sold to were like, if you say like other dangerous communities too, yep. you know. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not it surprised. Was, um, yeah. So <laughs> I used to go to the other like ghetto areas, which mm -hmm. was where our customers were, and you know just under God guidance, you know all these years, um, you know I never had any incidents. Do you, you, you know, you, street, you know? But that's one thing you got to know your market, you know your yeah. audience. But you also got to partake in negotiating. Yes, it had a lot of negotiating. So a lot of you, you were yeah. in the manufacturing. You, yes. you knew how to make the, the product. Whole supply chain. Yeah, you were in the supply. So you were the whole supply chain. Yeah, and I mean that's just the business but part. It too, was huh? just, but it, probably you didn't. If you were asked at the age of sixteen to eighteen, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't say supply chain. That's right. just the difference between how we were American back then, terms, you know, yeah, you know, and the present day. But it's just fascinating how, you know, looking back, you can see your experience, the, the beautiful stage. Yeah, it was dangerous people that you sold to, but in dangerous areas, but I won't say dangerous people, but in dangerous areas, yeah. I mean. But uh, it's still, there's a com an economy in those places. Yeah, yeah. And I said that's just how we sustain it. Huh? Yeah, and if people do not, someone has to supply there. And, someone you know, has to supply, it, yeah. So it, it, you, 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 feel, you feel the, the, the gap that was there. Yeah, I mean, I learned a lot of economics too, right? Because, you know, I had to always make sure I had enough money to keep making more of the product. But then, you know, we had to eat too in the house, right? Exactly. So I had to buy groceries. I learned to cook that whole time. I just learned to budget money to take care of the family at that time. Because as I, I did grow up in a house where a lot of my uncles were like drug addicts. And, you know, this is a house where your family would steal from me if you don't that, hide their money properly. Trust you know? me, so, I, 
I, I, all these I, different I, things will be <laughs> mitigated in that time, huh? So you're not using a bank account. Yeah, no, no, But no. you have to come up with ways to hide money. And yeah, so it's a, it was a lot. I, I, I have. A lot of learning in a short time. Absolutely. <laughs> I wasn't the guy in an entrepreneurial phase like yours, but I understand 100% because I helped in other businesses of family members without getting paid, without being uh, um, rewarded for my yeah. efforts. So, but I also got to see the stealing from by other people. Who, uh, I had a, an older cousin who kind of sold in the same environment like you did, right. but he was supposed to be a pastor, in quote, and he copied his friend who was a fellow pastor we, we always saw this guy he was a very smallish guy lucrative business in the church yeah every <laughs> night but you see this guy because every time you talk to this guy it's like always bible he got to give you hit you the bible quote every time there's bible but so i was like i don't like talking to this guy like he got to preach to me every time like, i don't i don't i don't need to preach here. i just want to have a conversation but every night like 9 p.m you see this guy leave the house with like two 25 liter jerry cans mm. and he's like a, he's, a, he's probably like five five or five four if he was too tall but he's small, and those jerry cans look huge, and he's always carrying them. 9 p.m., going to leave the house. Like, we are all, if you go fetch water, you fetch water and coming back home. You right. don't fetch water out of your house. You don't have yeah, a bottle yeah. in your house to take the water out. So where is he going with And those jerry cans look plain. Right. So one night, and we, we are not, we, we, our guardian didn't allow us to leave the house. Mm. But I don't know how we did it one night. We were able to sneak, sneak out of the house and follow this guy. And we followed him into the market and he went past the market into the red light district that mm. existed after the market. And then we saw that he handed the jerry cans to some um, ladies of the night. Mm. And we're like, oh, wow. Yes, so now the next day we came up to him and like, hey, man, um, what's up? And then he wants to start preaching, but he said, well, we don't need the Bible this time. We saw it last night and we followed <laughs> you. So what is that that you do? He's like, oh, you could have just told me that. Um, I supply... Um, the local our, our our equivalent of moonshine. Yeah, that's what he makes and goes to supply them. Right. Every night and we're like, oh, but I thought you a pastor. You preach all about you know. It's like, oh, I don't drink it. I, I supply them. Right. So now my cousin, who's the other pastor to be or want to be, says, I want to do the same business. Right. It's like, okay, I, 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 unlike some people who be like, I'm you the competition. Right. So I won't allow you come in. He's like, I'll show you how to make it. Right. I'll show you just provide the jerry can for yourself. Right. And I'll show you, I'll start you off. Yeah, you find some new customers, yeah. And introduce you to, actually, he introduced the guy to people who he sold to. Okay. And then you settle your price and all that. Right. And my cousin was like, okay, I have two younger cousins at home, so I can actually carry more right, right, right. liters. So I can do sell more than this guy. But now he just showed you the people he was sold to and was like, on your own. Right. And then we went with him. Now my cousin sees he's older because we do the age thing. That was the first mistake. He doesn't know how to negotiate. Mm. So he goes there. The women see him. They know he's a rookie. Right. They're like, hey. And now they start rubbing their body on right, him. Right, right, right. Hey, but your price is too expensive. Come on. Right. Give us discount now. You know, we will buy more. We'll buy more. Instead of charging maybe 50 for, for one, give us 30. And he's like, ha, this beautiful woman is touching me now. Yeah. <laughs> he starts smiling and he forgets himself. <laughs> we, the younger ones were like, what, what are you doing, man? Right. That's not the price we expect. No, no, no. Right, right, You're going right. to pay us too for, because we, we walk like maybe two miles carrying this jerry right. We are sweating. Uh, hell no. We have, he's like, shut up. I'm older than you. Don't, 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 don't talk now. 
Oh, well, yes, yes, yes. And they're like, ah, <laughs> we, we, they start rubbing his cheeks. Ah, this guy just, oh, right. man. Oh. So the next day, we're like, we're not coming with you. Right. Because he's like, okay, I'll pay you guys. On the next, we're like, no, no, no. That, that's how it begins. Because we've a lot of family members, they put us on hold. Right. We'll pay you, we'll pay you, we'll pay you. And then before you know, three months gone by, right. you haven't been paid. So we're like, uh, you, 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 the younger one, you're supposed to be on our side. Right. Stop doing this. And he's like, oh, don't worry, man. They'll pay me. And then before you know it, five people are owing him. Ten people are owing him. Business field, yeah. He starts drinking the product. Right. <laughs> Which is the last. The no-no. And then. Don't get high on your own supply. Yeah. It, it, it was it was totally. The business, he, he didn't last up to a year. Oh, wow. Less than a year. It crashed. Yeah. <laughs> it crashed. And yeah. And the, but that guy, until I left that city, that guy was still in that business. Yeah. Sustaining himself. Yeah. And. I was like, hey, man, yep, that you could, my cousin, he, he he just crashed. He crashed. He he didn't get it. And yeah, it's not for everyone, yeah? It's not. It's not business for Business is everyone. not for everyone. So you figured it out at a younger age, and you, you know, so it's, it's very impressive. And yeah, just I put that there. People, people got to know because, yeah, there's an economy in those places to yeah. be filled, to, to be serviced. But if you don't know what you're getting into, yeah, you just, uh, yeah, they're going to use it. Sharks, the sharks will eat you off, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're going to take a quick break and we shall be right back and to focus on you arriving in the United States. Hi, everyone. Your host, Rafael Harry here. I can't believe we've gone past our one-year anniversary of doing White Label American. I've had the privilege of speaking with some amazing people sharing their modern-day immigrant stories. And you've allowed this Nigerian immigrant to share parts of his immigrant journey through this podcast. Also, one of my goals of this podcast is breaking down artificial walls that keep people from getting to understand each other. Based on your wonderful feedback over the last year, I think we have done a decent job in breaking down some of those walls. We would like to continue and expand on this mission, but we need your help. I've had an amazing time creating and producing episodes for this show largely on my own. We have a lot of ideas for new and exciting content to expand upon the mission, but we need direct support from you, our listener which is why we have created a White Label American Patreon page where you can make a one-time donation or become a sustaining contributor where you can get access to exclusive content, help me interview upcoming guests by submitting questions, and even have the chance to sit down with me for a one-on-one conversation, either virtually or in studio. So if this podcast means something to you, and if you really love this show, think about becoming a sustaining contributor and donating by going to patreon.com slash white label American POD. Thanks for listening and for the privilege of your company. So welcome back. And now... We're going to jump into um, Seiko in America. Oh, I didn't even ask this question from the beginning. I should have started with this question. So, sorry about that. Your name, Seiko, 
Do you know the meaning of your name? Yeah, Seiko means a brave and astute warrior. All right. And what is there a history to why you, you have that name? Yeah, I'm named after the first president of Guinea, Seiko Toure. All right, all right. And my middle name, Setandai, is uh, my dad said, around the time I was born, there was some like super large baby that was born in South Africa at the time that had that name, Setandai. It means we are blessed. Oh. So my name, my full name means we are blessed by a brave and astute warrior. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I, I, I've I've started asking about names lately because you know I, I've, I know the meaning of all my names. Okay, but it was a guest from Haiti that told me about merging all the meaning of our names together, mm. and I was like, oh yeah, I know the meaning of all my names, but I just go by them separately okay, as individual yeah. names. So I have to put all of them together now and into a sentence. So yeah, yeah, all that's right. how I have mine. We are blessed with a brave and astute warrior. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So you arrived in the United States um, 2001. 2001, April, Friday, April 13th. Wow. Yes, yeah. I remember. <laughs> um, yeah, the other, um, the other guest I've had, the first guest I've had on the podcast from um, TNT also arrived 2001. Yeah, so but I just celebrated my 20th anniversary. One week from September 11th. Okay. Yeah, so they were different between her. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I came a few months before that happened, so I did have a chance. To see the towers once. Okay. I, I got a free circle line ride around the city. So you, New York was your first port of call? Yeah, when um yeah, when when I first came, uh, as I mentioned earlier, my family came in waves. Yeah. So I was the last one to come along with my big brother. And when I got there, my family, we were in Jamaica, Queens, mm. living in um living in a one bedroom attic. So it was my parents, my younger brother was just born in January that year. So my parents were in the one bedroom with the baby. And then myself and my uh, four brothers, we were in the living room. So that was all of us in, a, as, as I said, it was like a one bedroom, like attic apartment in yeah. Queens. And then we moved from that apartment in uh, July that year. So we were just there a few months because mm-hmm. I guess when my um, parents first got the apartment, it was just um them and probably like my younger twin brothers and then my one of my other brothers came and then the baby came and then myself and my big brother came and the people were like oh you know we rented this because we thought it was just like a family of like four people you know now you all got like <laughs> eight people in the apartment yeah yeah so all right so but then I've been in Brooklyn since okay. since July two thousand one up until now Brooklyn wow all right so when you first arrived. Was there any experience that was like your welcome to America or like a shock or? Yeah, I just remember uh, the first day I came, I guess it was springtime, April 13th. And I remember just the next morning, my dad was like, oh, I'm going to the uh, supermarket to just get some stuff. And I saw him putting on jeans and socks and sneakers. So I was like, are you, are you going like out, out or are we going to the supermarket? Because I was 18 years old at the time. Yeah. And to me, I know when you're going on the street, uh-huh. you have on your shorts and flip-flops and you're going barefoot. Uh-huh. So I'm seeing them putting on jeans and socks and shoes. I'm like, whoa, is it like some event taking place? And you're like, no, no. In America, you got to put on socks and shoes to like, you know, just walk barefoot out the house, you know? And like... Even like I would never put jeans on unless yeah. I was like going somewhere special and sure that, you know. So that I was like, okay, this is a whole a whole new scene out here. 
Uh, I mean, barefoot with shorts. Ah, yep, yep. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, like I, I think it was in Portacos where we, we had, uh, it was claimed that we, we love to dress up and right. go nowhere and just be in the hood. Uh, yeah, we, we, don't, we don't normally even put on jeans just for the sake of it. We still, right. I mean, you, you can, even sometimes you might still see somebody with jeans, but it's like the jeans that's not really meant for going out. Right. So you can put on your flip-flops and then just, yeah, yeah, I'm hanging out with the boys, but you've showered, rub power down your face right. and all that, and then come come sit down you know, outside in the evening. Somebody's like, you want to go out? No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going anywhere. I don't have anywhere to go. But just come sit down with the boys. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember something like that because yeah, even after I arrived, I was 25 when I when I moved here. And um, yeah, my mom, my mom is like, uh, we're going to grocery and... Right. I'm like, well, what am I wearing? Right. <laughs> yeah, that, that question, what am I wearing? She's like, yeah, you know, he has jeans. And I'm like, why, why, why am I wearing jeans? Right. <laughs> like, barefoot with shorts, yeah. Yeah, your jeans is like, you know, you're going to a party or right. something. That's know? what I thought, yeah. You know, it's, it's not like you're going grocery. You're like, why, why would you wear jeans for that? <laughs> I put on socks. I was like, I think I had one pair of socks in Trinidad. <laughs> to the supermarket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so how, how did new york life how did you take to new york life uh yeah it was it was uh interesting uh time when i first came when i got here i just actually um really had no plans or didn't know what i would do you know mm-hmm. uh yeah so i got here i, I think i had like 40 dollars left from all my years of entrepreneurship and Trinidad, right? I, I think I had 240 TTI I changed it. It was 40 US. That's what I landed in this country with. And then I wasn't sure if I would want to work or push your education. So, you know, my, my fan impression media were like, all right, see if you could figure it out kind of thing, you know? So kind of that's, that's what I landed thinking about, like what direction I want to go. And I was open to anything. I was open to work in a healthy family or maybe, you know, going to school if that would help, you know? Yeah. So it kind of leads me into like the interesting story of like university. So um, in thinking about university education, um, you know, nobody in my family before myself had gone to college. Mm. So I like just started looking in the yellow pages, you know, it, it probably had the internet at that time. I didn't know much about it. <laughs> I knew about, I just knew about the yellow page from Trinidad. So I looked in the yellow pages and I found two schools, St. John's University uh-huh. and Columbia University which I never had heard of. Mm. And then I looked and they had all the athletic offices. So I like looked for St. John's, found these um, soccer coaches line, yeah. call and left a voicemail. Same thing for the Columbia coach, call, left a voicemail. Hi, my name is Seiko Cox. I'm 18 years old. I'm 170 pounds. I just came from Trinidad. I'm a very strong student and a good soccer player. And I think if you saw me play, you would be interested in having me play for your team. That was the message I left for both coaches, right? Wow. A few days later, my brother tells me somebody left a message for me and it was the Columbia coach who like I called back and said, hey, I heard a message. If you have a chance, call me back, right? And it's so happened the second time I called, you know, by some stroke of luck, he actually was in the office and he like was able to answer and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm the guy who like called some days ago and then he told me that I... It was a like very lucky time that I called him because there's an NCAA rule where they have one day in the spring and one day in the fall where they have to allow walk-ons to train the team. So walk-ons are students mm-hmm. at the school mm-hmm. who, um, you know, most of those college teams recruit. 
but they have to make a day where any student in the college is able to like um come and do a trial, right? Yeah. So it was walk on day was like the Thursday. Like I was talking to him on Tuesday and he was like, um he wasn't really supposed to do it, but he would allow me to come and child with the walk-ons that day so if i could just find my way to columbia stadium he would let me try i was like all right i'll do it he gave me the directions i took the train all the way to 218 street i was really bad with the train i could have taken the express all the way to 96 <laughs> but i didn't know so i took it local all the way up <laughs> hey you're still, still better than me on my first <laughs> train in new york <laughs> but yeah oh, it was later and it was um for the for the americans it was a lovely spring day you know it was like Late April for me, I was freezing. I remember getting there in a hoodie and a jacket, uh, two sweatpants, some socks, you know, and then like everybody was taking off their clothes. They were in shorts and I was like, no, I'm just taking off my boots. And I put my cleats on. People were like, you're not going to get undressed? I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm going to play like this, right? <laughs> and then I was on the team with like the scrubs and there was yeah. like the actual uh, Columbia soccer team. So this was actually the first time I like met this guy who I talked to on the phone once. You know, I told him, I was like, yeah, I'm that trader then guy who you like talking. I was like, all right, cool. Just go and play with these guys here. And then, you know, we played a little game. My dad actually came to like watch me play that day. And then at the end of, end of the little scrimmage, you know, he was like, um, he asked me my SAT scores. And he was like, you know what, Seiko, I'm going to get you into um, Columbia next day. He said it like very casually like that, right? And he said, and I kind of like took it casually too, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, I was like, all right, cool. Like, I, I just didn't know anything. And then I like told my dad, I was like, yeah, you know, the guy likes me. He said, he'll get me in the school next year. Um, kind of started going around. I kept in touch with him. And I started to tell one or two people. I was like, hey, you know, um, I like went up to Columbia. And, you know, the coach said he's going to like get me into the school next year. And like people were like kind of like amazed, right? Yeah. And I was like, well, is, is it a big deal kind of thing? And then kind of as time is passing, I'm getting to realize like Columbia is like one of the biggest schools like in the world, right? Yes. But... The, the thing that I tell people about the story that's 100% true is that, you know, at that time, I didn't know the difference between a community college and an Ivy League school, a four-year school, a bachelor's or master's. It was 100% mm-hmm. just luck that I, like, put my finger on Columbia. Like, it could have been St. Francis College. It could have been Kingsborough College. It just happened that that was the first person I talked to, and they said they'll get me to school. Like, this could have been a story of me talking to Medgar Evers and the coach was like, okay, I'll get in next year and then I would have gone to Medgar Evers. Yeah. It just so happened that it was uh, Columbia, Columbia. Eagles, you know? So wow. I said like over the year, I got to realize uh, Columbia was a real, you know, good school and there were so many funny other things happened. I remember like he gave me the application that, you know, those brochures that they tell you to promote the school at the back has like a little application. I don't know they still do that because they don't do like paper stuff anymore. It's like a brochure like, Learn about all our programs by the oh, back. Yeah, like yeah. the last page had like an application, like mail listen. And you know, it's like you pay a name and there's like a box where like your essay goes here. Like that was the, that was the application I filled mm-hmm. in. Like I wrote my essay by hand in that little box and submitted that, you know. And I, I got into Columbia with that application, <laughs> you know. I tell people a story all, all the time and this, you know, this it really happened to me, you know. Wow. So that's, that's how I ended up going to Columbia, yeah. That is amazing. That's yeah. beautiful. But excuse me, that's that's no lie though. About um, I know when I first arrived, I didn't know anything about. Yeah, I had no clue. Yeah, the schools. All I when I was told, um, you want they gave me like two weeks of grace. My family was just like, "Welcome, show you some sights." <laughs> all right, so Take what you want to do? You're right. said, what you gonna hustle? You 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 can't be in the house. You gonna bring right. money or 
go to school. I said, okay, mom. What was the school? I'm like, yeah, uh, go figure it out. Right. Yeah, that's what I was like. Well, I had internet, universities in Virginia, where I was, and whoa. (laughs) They're like, uh, Man, this is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna be like two, three. I would just pop up as universities and as universities, Maryland, because I was um, I'm in the DMV area, so getting universities in DC, Maryland. Every, I'm like, whoa, what, what is? And then you know, the moment you do that search, the universities, uh, the adverts start popping up too. Um, and community is it community you want? I'm like, what the hell is community? Right. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just like, I don't know. Nobody. So that's why um, it was a lot easy. For me, when my cousin, because I was overwhelmed, I was overwhelmed, and then I heard of student loans. I was like, "What is student loans?" Right. <laughs> and then my cousin, who was in the navy, just called me. Uh, as soon as he called me, I said, like, "Yeah, I'm out." This, 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 this sounds like something that has a clear path for me. I'm just gonna go there, and I can start figuring my way from there. But even then, I completely forgot about the whole university thing. So when I was in the navy. If I'd kept that in mind, I probably would have done a better job of knowing, oh, community college, um, right, you know, state school, bachelor. Yeah. So I would have done a better job of drawing the line, okay, this is what I'll do. So I just kind of went along with it. Right. So even when I got out and I, by then I'd gone in, when I finally fell into depression and then started going to school all over again, when I would end up in New York and I will end up at Pace, it was later I found out I could have even gotten into Colombia because they were recruiting veterans mm, yeah. to come to Colombia actively. Yeah, but it's just I, ignorance at the well, time. I, I, I was yeah. like, man, I, I, was, yeah, I was like, oh, man, I, I already ruled myself out of that. But yeah, that's one reason why I'm glad you shared that story and um, whoever is listening can use that to benefit themselves. And I tell people, actually, even people outside of America, like, hey, if, apply. Right. Just apply. What's the worst thing that can happen? Just right. apply. Because you never know. Don't, don't, some people ask me, like, hey, man, I'm looking for a scholarship. I right. say, hey, just go on the website. Roll the dice, yeah, roll the dice. Now, now it's a lot easier for you to access scholarships, unlike, you know, uh, back then when you had to write a letter and, you know, go through a whole longer process. It's a lot easier nowadays. Yeah. So, you know, more information is all there. Yeah, so. Most yeah, so I, I used my ignorance, the mistakes <coughs> from my ignorance. I put it out there and say, yep, yeah, I made a mistake, but you don't have to make that mistake. And I'm glad that you 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 you, you were on top of things from the beginning, and yeah, got into I, Colombia. I had some guidance. Yeah, yeah so that, that's was beautiful. Crazy, you know? Yeah. So you went through Colombia for your bachelor's, and were you ever tempted to go fully with soccer while you were at Colombia, or? Yeah, yeah. At, at a time, mm-hmm. maybe my junior year, there was like a discussion about if I should try to pursue like a pro career because yeah. I was a four-year letter winner, even though I walked on. I started my whole time and, you know, I I guess I feel like every college athlete maybe goes through this at some point one and if I want to try to uh, pursue <clears throat> like a pro career, but I just kind of look at how I feel like my life will go out and I didn't feel like that was something for me, you know? Mm. Maybe if I could have ended up being like how LeBron James is like a very vocal athlete, but I was saw myself as being able to do something more impactful, you know? Yeah. As I, I felt like being a pro athlete seemed to me like very personable like you know like I could get like rich by myself and like entertain sports fans but I feel like I wanted to do more than that you know not to sound heroic but I, I did feel like I would be able to make money 
but just have a more impactful life. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of like how I threw water on that. All right. So when did you start to um, embrace the tech side and open the the path of your current uh, venture that you have? Yeah, so when I graduated from Columbia, I studied economics. I actually became a teacher. So a lot of my classmates went into finance. Mm-hmm. Cause I was just kind of like the thing happening. Because we're in New York, you know, financial yes, capital. Big, yeah. Studying economics, you know, like I was highly recruited and even by like financial firms, but still tied to the same thing I said about soccer. Like I feel like I wanted to do something more impactful. Mm-hmm than um, being some type of like financial trader and building up some big company, you know? So it was actually close to, and I'm going to get to the tech part, it was close to my graduation where I saw one of those infomercials for New York City teaching fellows about, um, it was the one where it said, you remember your first grade teacher's name, who's going to remember yours? Hmm. So that was like they recruited, but I was like, yeah, you know what? I do remember my first grade teacher's name. So like I applied to the thing and I got in and, Right, I started even um, like a month after a graduation in their program because they had a program where they subsidize your master's degree. Yeah, and then they would start teaching in the fall. So even in June, I like started this program at Brooklyn College, and then I, I taught math for over ten years right out of college. And it was a couple of years ago, about five years ago, my brothers, uh, who they were science teachers at the time, we kind of put our heads together. Just looking at some of the pain points we have now, teachers with uh, technology and like engagement with kids. And, you know, we came up with this idea to make a tool that would allow students to respond to questions in class with, um, just on a watch. Because it had classroom clickers at that time oh, where wow. it could just respond to questions. But we wanted to put it in a watch because we also wanted to tie in like a health aspect. So we work with some developers and some manufacturers and we like invented this little class, this miniaturized classroom response system yeah. that also like allows you to track steps and sleep. So that was, that was, that was our first like dive into technology and we had to resign from our teaching jobs to do it because there's a conflict of interest law oh, okay. that they have in um, for city jobs where this company that we make, we wouldn't be able to sell to any schools until one year pass after resignation, as I said, it's I guess it's, they say it's supposed to stop. Uh, I know some type of corruption. Yeah. So we had to resign while we were like doing this thing and you know figure out how to survive for a year before we could actually sell to some schools. Yeah. So that wow. that was our first foray into like the technology business. Yeah. Wow. So what's the company called? Oh, company is called Enjoy Tech USA. And since that time, mm-hmm. we've actually evolved to do different things. So just seeing how hard the businesses to do business with schools is like slow to get paid. They're slow to adopt new technology. Yeah, We move towards more um, health-focused products. So we created a watch that, similar to the Apple Watch, it like tracks, does a lot of with like movement tracking and stuff. But um, in response to COVID, we actually created a temperature monitoring feature in our watch and then our watch does um, measures like blood oxygen and a few other things. So now our watch, and this is kind of like one vein of our company, Enjoy Tech Watch, it has like this remote monitoring system. So we're just like at a point right now 
where we're looking to expand partnerships like with schools or like elderly populations but it's a watch where it helps the users like track their health metrics because the watch automatically tracks all the metrics but it also allows like a caretaker or like an administrator to like remotely monitor so as a like example use cases at a school could give the watches to all the students yeah and then the school nurse will be able to monitor the kids temperatures just by going on an ipad or laptop or the same thing oh, if you wow. gave it to like elderly people you could see if they have a spike in heart rate or like mm. a change in their temperature so yeah that's our new tool that we're like launching mm. one one other party business that i do want to mention is that um while we were like doing all this bootstrapping because you know our company it does take a lot of like r&d to develop the the hardware that we do and then we do all our software in-house but part of it is that I started to do like freelancing as a like individual developer and that part of the business actually became very robust. So now we have one um, side of our business that just IT development. So we started off doing like apps and websites for like individuals, but now we are aiming to work with more small businesses and like we're work, we're trying to get contracts with like city and federal agencies because we have like a minority business enterprise certificate. So we're yeah. now actively trying to get uh, contracts to work with, I see the city agency, whether it's the Department of Health or Department of Education, Sanitation, so on and so forth. And like some of the federal agencies, such as let's say Department of Defense or Housing. Uh -huh. So this is kind of like where our business is right now, like transitioning to um, work on those type of contracts here. So awesome. the Enjoy Tech Web, that's like our IT side. Yeah. The Enjoy Tech Watch is our like health tech side. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. and the company uh, says uh, Enjoy Tech USA is Enjoy our, the parent USA. company. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I think that's uh, after um, Dr. Shafi, well, Professor Shafi, who's one of the top surgeons in the UK. He's been on the podcast. Mm, okay. He's uh, a guy who, <laughs> in healthcare, he loves he loves merging tech with healthcare. Okay. So he's a guy I need to introduce you to. Oh, yeah, sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, I think he was the first guy to... Uh, performing surgery using Google Glasses. Okay. And but he just loves doing tech. Like it was on national TV in the UK. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he loves. Innovative. I know the, the yeah. idea of the watch is something that would interest him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I'll connect you guys. Yeah. He's uh, he's, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. But he loves the idea of using tech to um, better healthcare. That all comes in. And um, yeah, and also taking it to. Um, lesser developed countries because mm, yeah. he has connections in many of those places too. So yeah, that's that's how I try to you know help right, make people, connections, make right? connections with people. You know, just need to get start getting paid on that one day. <laughs> Final <laughs> fee, right? <laughs> oh, man, I love, no, I love what you guys do. But um, so for the watches, is it only available at the wholesales? On a wholesale scale, or is it available to individuals? Yeah, when we first started, it was direct to consumer, where we we had a website and we wanted to sell it as an individual product. But yeah. I think now we are focused more on um, this enterprise business, so we we do want to focus on that. Okay, but it did start off as something that we wanted to sell, like how Apple Watch sells to individuals, but yeah. realized that we needed to make a pivot to differentiate ourselves. So, all right, it is focused on either working with schools or enterprises, insurance companies, yeah, and as I say, business business partners. Okay. All right. So,
So I have to wait a little bit before I can get one. No, I hook you up right now. You know, I'm, uh, you get watch tomorrow. You hey, know? okay. If we are talking advance, I'd have with me today. <laughs> no worries. I just had to try that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, you're also working on your doctorate. At the same time, you also a dad. You know, it's like, man, how how do you make time for yourself to relax? With yes, sir, I have a do. body double, and the body double, he goes out Sundays, and then I go out Sundays. Okay, no. we'll, 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 we'll delete that part out. We don't want to, we don't want to give the secret out. <laughs> but, um, you know, but people ask me all the time, and I think the way I get through is that um, most of the things that I'm into, yes, I, I take it as recreation. I do mm. enjoy working on my business. Good. You know, the time with my kids, I really enjoy it a lot. You know, like... um. Like I like to take them to see different parts of the city, so it's it's also me enjoying it, right? Yes. Or when I'm doing my uh, doctoral work, I'm reading things that I'm interested in. You know, I I do like to work out a good bit, so you know, for me that's fun to like play a soccer game, go yeah. exercise. So, so what's your um what 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 is your doctorate on? It's in mathematics education. Yeah. Oh man, this guy. This guy, this guy. And I actually no. started at NYU. I was there at NYU for a few years. I just transferred into Teachers College Columbia this past okay. fall. So I have about two or three years left. In Yoruba, they will say Efiko Omo Efiko. That's Yoruba. I'm not Yoruba, but in Yoruba, they will say Omo Efiko. That's the guy who's like, he literally carries the books on his head. That's. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's just. <laughs> no, but that's good. That's good. That's good. Now, I, I like that. Um, the, way, the way you said it, I seen. Um, you enjoy what you do. It speaks to um, self care. Right, it's a form of self care too. Because you know, too many people approach everything. You know, if you're approaching it as work, 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 yeah. work, work, you know, it's not self care. It's it, it's not wellness. It's weighing it on you. You know, it, yeah, it's that's to become a burden to you. Right. So yeah, it's um, something that. Um, I appreciate hearing and I, I love it because the the vibes that's coming from you, it's just, ooh, it's, it's good vibes. It's good vibes, bro. Yeah, well, I do make some time for meditation. I think that's a big thing that I have to say. Like awesome. It helps me, like, you know, ground and set up my energies. Mm. So it's something I've been doing more in the past few months and years. Awesome. I, does, I, I think the um, thing with meditation, not like I'm, like, trying to sell it, but it's one of those things where you um you see the effects. You don't see it directly. Mm -hmm. So, cause, because a lot of things we're accustomed to in life in the West, you can see like a direct effect, right? Like if I go to the gym and lift weights, yeah. I can see like my muscles getting bigger. Or if I do a business, you know, you can see a bank account getting bigger or like a lot of things we engage in, eating and drinking, you see the direct effect. The thing with what I read with meditation is like, you know, you sit and meditate, it's not like maybe something changes with your skin or you like start levitating but you see it affects other parts of your life. The True. effects are very subtle. Mm. So even something like my attitude towards how I engage in things, as I said, whether it's um, finding enjoyment in different activities, I know that's coming from just my mind being subtle or the way I react to things. When I look at how I react to things now compared to years ago, so I know all those are like part of these effects, you know? Yes. So that's why I, I think it's important that I do uh, continue to you keep a regular practice that way, as I said, because I see that affecting all parts of my life. Awesome. Yeah, I'm a man who believes in therapy, and I, I use it. I'm still in therapy right now. And it's the same thing. It's not something that you just... You, I don't approach it like I have to 
it's like, um, oh, I have a headache and I take a pill and automatically the pain goes away. No, it's something that is for making me feel better, but not like right away, it's for the long run. And the more I use it, the more I see changes down the line or the, like someone interacts with me like, oh man, it's, you, there's something different about you. And yeah, sometimes I look in the mirror, I'm like, yeah, the, my skin is glowing. I don't know, but it's glowing. And I, I praise myself now. Before yeah. I would have been, I'm not going to praise myself. Yeah, but yeah I, I don't mind praising myself. Now I deserve to praise myself too. So call it what it is. But yeah, it's good. But I encourage people to get therapy. And meditation is also a form of therapy too. So yeah, but I um, have to begin to start uh, wrapping this up. But we can't wrap this up without getting to two fun topics. And let me see, which one should I go to first? Okay, I will do this one first. You're in New York. You've been in New York for a long time. You came from TNT. Both places have some good stuff when it comes to food. So, when it comes to food, where does your favorite come from? Oh, yeah, Trini food. I'm, um, my friends know there's a thing we have in that called doubles. Doubles? No, the, the thing is that I love doubles so much that I'm very disappointed in New York here. Oh, man. This Even is, yesterday morning. This is, no, the, fir- this, this is this, first. This is truth. Yesterday morning, I was talking to two of my friends from Trinidad who know me really well. I bought three doubles yesterday, and I had to throw away two of them. Oh, wow. And my friends say, Seiko, you will never learn. You know you don't like doubles in America. Why do you keep buying it? It's like I, I, I you know, it's like that guy who's like a, a sucker for love. Uh-huh. Who like, it's like, yeah, I'm not lucky. <laughs> but, you know, I'll try, I'll try. It's the same thing with doubles. I'm always like, you know, maybe it's going to be better this time. Because, you know, my friends know when I land in Trinidad, we yeah. go straight to the doubles, man, yeah? Oh, wow. And I don't know if you know what doubles is, but it's a street food we have. You know, for those who know what it's like, two flatbreads, and there's chickpea in it, and then we have all these sauces you put in it and you know they just they, they just can't do the same here in america oh, so man, i'm man, suffering now, you know now i'm afraid yeah, okay i have to i mean if I, you're I, from I, america I, it's, I, it's, I can't it's try the doubles here i have to go until i get it yeah i mean I the ones here is good if you don't there. know better you know if you don't know any better it's fine you know? I, I don't want to be that guy now because <laughs> if i tried one here i probably would have been like oh man i love doubles yeah. doubles is great and you're gonna be looking at me like this guy hasn't he doesn't know. Well, even even yeah, in Trinidad, doesn't. I don't eat every doubles too. And I'm like a harsh doubles critic in Trinidad. Yeah? <laughs> like, I'm like, no, no. Wait, wait. Go. So are there differences between doubles? In- 100% there's differences. All different parts of the country, people make doubles different. There are certain people, their, their chickpea is good. Their, their masalas are good. Their, so which which part of uh, Trinidad has the best doubles? I mean, you know, I don't want to sound anything controversial if there's you got to. people well, you've, you've opened it's too late now. You've, you've opened the Pandora's box. It's too late. You got to. You got but, to. But um, you know, in Europe, that's one part and true that where they have a, a rep for some, you know, some good doubles. And then on the highway by Ruka, you know, they have some good doubles out here. You know, that that's the place where like when my airplane lands, yeah. my friends pick me up, we go right to Ruka, get some doubles before we do anything else, before we offload suitcases, mm. take a shower, you know, so okay. And is the, that that's like street food? Yeah, yeah, get okay. on the street. Because I love I love street food. Yeah, doubles. It's it's actually no good to like buy it and take it to us. You have to stand there, they make it for you, hold it in your hand and you stand and eat. That's oh that's the essence of doubles. The minute you had to like wrap it and take it to go, it's like it's no good anymore. It's, it's right. like it, it's expires immediately. Okay, that, that sounds like my kind of food. Yeah, you gotta stand up like there kind of where it's burning your hand yeah. and eat it on foot. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay, okay. Yeah, I think Anything I... Anything else is blasphemy. Yeah. Oh, I, oh, oh, wow. <laughs> this, this is... 
This is not what I was expecting, but okay, okay, okay. Yeah, we don't need American doubles anymore. No, no, we'll no. We'll go straight to Trinidad. All right. Next one, music. Now, I know you guys got some hot music. You got hot musicians there, you know. It's not only Jamaica that got some hot musicians. No, no offense, Jamaica. I love all of them. You know, this is not Jamaica's time, so go see that in one corner, Jamaica. But um, um, when it comes to music, you know, New York also got great music too. So you can, you can, you can. You know, Brooklyn got great music. Everywhere got great music. So if you need to be dancing for an hour, who are the three artists that you go to right now? <clears throat> all right. I, I, as a Trinidad, and I know I had to say something controversial here. Yeah, you're already open. That, that gets open right now. So. Yeah, because you know, <laughs> you know, one of the first things I said um, when we were talking was just my love for this idea, like repatriation, going back to Africa. Yeah. So interestingly, even though I grew up in Trinidad, I grew up listening more to reggae music because oh, okay. my dad was Rastafarian. Yeah. Back when it was like a whole outcast in society to be Rastafarian. So I grew That's up true. listening to reggae music, you know? Mm -hmm. So like one of my favorite artists is like Sizzler and, oh. you know, artists like Sizzler, Capital, Lucian, they actually are the ones who inspired me to like want to go to Africa, right? Been so, you know, Trader, we have our music, one. Soka music, you know, I'm yeah. a big supporter of Soka. Yeah. Marshall Montana is the greatest, the goat of Soka. And the thing with, with Soka music, to, to me, it's just... um. You know, it's very contextual. It has to be like a party or you have to be mm -hmm. exercising or it has to be carnival. Yeah. You know, I like reggae music because of the message it sends. Yes. So honestly, you know, I, I would default to reggae. Like if I'm listening to music in the car, it had to be like some Sizzler, some Burning Spear, something old school, you know? Yeah. And I don't even I don't even look at it like that's Jamaican stuff. I'm like, you know, these Caribbean stuff. Yeah. They are the message I like. I mean, I, I, I that, call that's it African, what that's what I'm rocking. I call it to. African stuff, to be honest. Right? Yeah, because it, it all comes. It like trips Lucky right? Dubai. Lucky, Lucky Dubai, Dubai. You know what I mean? You can't just you can't, you can't claim you can't just tag him South African. No, nah, no, no. It's reggae, it's everything. Yeah. So yeah. you know, and but you know, I grew up with a decent amount of hip hop too. You know, in Trinidad, we had the American influence. I grew up listening to a good bit of Jay Z, you know, over there. But um, I definitely probably would like be if I had to bump for it, probably be some like reggae, you know, like. Even growing up, the few times I had a chance to like party, it was like reggae parties, you know? Yeah. That's kind of like what I know until maturity, you know, so. Hey, no lie, man. If I, reggae, I, I can leave reggae on right. all day. Yeah, that's the thing that, with it. That's the brand, uh, the genre of music that can carry me, excuse me, all day right. without, um, um, even the African hip hop, I don't, I don't call it Afrobeat, not because it's not Afrobeat to me. But right, like the I, hip life here. Yeah, uh, I get why it's called Afrobeat now, but it's not uh, all the other music. I can do it for like for a couple of hours. Right, but way reggae is it doesn't it doesn't. Fit. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff. No it matter who's goes. sitting in the car, yeah. you could put on some Bob Marley. Yeah, you know, there's some other music that when my kids in the car at a change station. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, like, yeah, that, that's another thing too. You know, or like I'm talking about. If I have a white person, a man, a woman, a child, if I put on Bob Marley, everybody can listen to that. I put, the other in, music, in reggae, I, like, I, just, I live reggae. Yeah, there, the other like, one, you had to like look at your audience and figure out, all right, who's here? What should mm -hmm, I play? You know. Mm -hmm. So that that's why I know that. That's if, if you don't there. if you don't like reggae, your racism is too high. Right. Yeah. It's too high. Yeah, your racism just right. We, we, we can't, we can't, can't, we can't you. save you. Yeah, we can't, can't save, save you anymore. Yeah. Just uh, just you know who to vote just for. Gone, yeah. That's it. All right. So. Well, before I ask the final question, just one quick answer. You, you visited Africa, right? 
You visited Africa once? Numerous times. Numerous times? Okay. Well, your first visit to Africa, where was it to? First visit to Africa was 2005 uh, when I was in study abroad in Ghana. I Ghana. stayed there for five months, yes. In one sentence, what was that experience? First, when you got out of the plane, what was that? Like, oh, how will you summarize the whole experience? Yeah, it definitely, it just felt like my whole life was leading up to that moment. Like, it was, it was, yeah, more than a life dream. I don't know what to say. It was like a genie, just let me do what I want, you know? Okay. And and one interesting story I'll tell about Ghana too, yeah. because it ties into what I was saying about the music. I said I grew up, um, you know, here in Sizzler, saying we had to go back to Africa, here in Cuba, and saying, and one of my trips to Ghana for Ghana independence, I actually had a chance to see Sizzler perform in Ghana. Oh, wow. And that... <laughs> okay. That's like yeah. Okay. yeah I yeah. I don't I don't even know how to kind of describe it's that. It's no longer you know? controversial. That that, that Yeah, I, I don't know I don't know how to describe you, that. You you bounce back from the controversial. It's yeah. I, I, All right, Jamaica, we back on track, you know, we good. Yeah, you had a lot right. to say yeah. one more thing about Africa because yeah. I would have said that Sizzler, seeing Sizzler in Ghana is my top, but I had a chance to see Marion McCabe perform in South Africa. Oh, this so guy. That, this you know guy, that this guy come down. That's the man. only thing this to beat Sizzler in Ghana. Gonna, <laughs> what next? You gonna say shoot hands with Nelson Mandela? Man, this guy is that's too much, man. You're gonna make me jealous now. Just calm, calm down. You saw me, you saw my grandmother. That's my grandmother. She, she didn't know she had a grandson like me. Like, you know, something we like to keep as a secret, but you know, I love that woman, man. She, she, she uh, man, that's. Man, that's I don't do concerts, by the way, but it's yeah, that, and that was totally random. I, yeah. I just oh man, I, the person I interviewed yesterday got to meet Hugh Masakela, mm. and then you got to meet Miriam Akiba. Then I wonder who the next person gonna meet now. That next person under pressure. <laughs> next person come on the podcast. You know what to do. If you don't meet any, you know, they just, probably saw Michael just, Jackson. Just, just just keep the music <laughs> question. If you don't, right? <laughs> if you didn't meet Michael Jackson, then don't answer. <laughs> Oh man, Seku, I appreciate you for coming on the pod. Yeah, thanks um, for having me. This has been fun. Uh, we got we got to do it. the part two. We're gonna do. We're gonna f- focus on your trip around Africa, all the countries you visited. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be the part two. Most definitely, we're gonna do. And um, final question: What would you like to leave the audience with? You know, it could be your freestyle, could be um, a quote from a book you've read, um, a line from a song, or maybe one of his last. Songs, you know, hey, it's up to you, but something you like to leave the audience with. Okay, um, yeah, I, I guess I guess I wasn't thinking about this in advance, but uh, I mean, I know this is as a city white label American, so I guess when I think about it, if it's other people similar to me, is you know, it might be like a cliche, but just you know, pursue whatever you want to pursue, you know, and just always believe in yourself. That's the main thing, because what I've seen is that when you believe in yourself like amazing things happen. You know, you want to get help from people and networking and all that thing is good, but it really comes down to yourself. And what I realize is that the universe or God or whatever you believe in, you just see things happening to guide your steps. So that's the main thing I would I would keep saying because no matter how good things go in, you know, doubt always creeps in. So just always keep that belief, keep that faith that however it's working out is how it has to work out, you know, yeah. and then the universe will conspire to help you. Awesome. I have to agree with that. All right, brother. Please, if people want to find Enjoy Tech and yourself, how can they reach out and where do they go to? Yeah, enjoytechweb.com uh, or enjoytechwatch.com. Like, very straightforward. And from there, 
all the contact information, you know, to get in touch with me is there. And that's how a lot of people find me on the internet, you know. All right. Then I'm on LinkedIn, Seiko Cox. Uh, but yeah, enjoytechweb.com, enjoytechwatch.com, and you can see all the great work that we're doing. Awesome. And I'll add all that in the show notes so you guys can reach out and make sure you get in touch. You know, he's a great guy, simple guy, you know. You know, it's fantastic to get in touch with and talk to. So thank you all for listening to this episode. Don't forget to come back next week. And don't forget to keep the love coming in. Subscribe, share, you know, buy T-shirts. Do all you got to do. Thank you for the privilege of your company. See you next week. Thanks for listening to White Label American. If you enjoyed the show, we'll appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. If you have any questions, comments, or have someone who will be a good guest on the show, or you want to be on the show, send us a message at whitelabelamerican at gmail.com. And make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at White Label American. Thank you for your support.